Thank you for listening to the teaching podcast of Muncie First Church. If you would like to know more about us, go to MuncieFirstChurch.com. Or if you would like to support a ministry, go to the giving page, MuncieFirstChurch.com slash give. Well, let's jump into the teaching from this last week. It's good to be back together with you. Missed, missed the time here with you. We went to church somewhere else. It's not the same. And, uh, you know, I, I uh, come back every time more appreciative of our church than ever before. I uh, love being a part of First Church. A little warm in here today. Sorry about that. But, you know, the weather's changing and you never know. Yesterday it was cold. Today it's going to be warmer. Tomorrow's going to be warmer than that. So, you know, you just, you just never know what we're facing next. But uh, we're glad that, uh, glad that you're all here and want to just uh, be together. Yeah, I love that song. The, the art of celebration, there's no condemnation. And we don't believe in condemnation. Jesus has taken away condemnation. He brings conviction, and conviction's a good thing. Conviction reminds us, hey, there's things in our life that still need to be taken care of, but no more condemnation. He doesn't condemn us. I loved it this morning. I was with the boys, and I was doing my Sunday school class, and you learn a lot with boys in Sunday school uh, about people that they're related to. <laughs> And about other things in their lives. But it was really cool this morning as we were talking and I asked them if they knew what unconditional love was. And they were, we were discussing what unconditional love might look like. And um, I said, uh, if you do something wrong, do your parents still love you? And one of the boys said, parents always love you no matter what. I said, exactly. That's what unconditional love is. And I said, if you do something wrong, does Jesus still love you? And they said, absolutely. They understand that. I hope you understand that, that no matter what, He loves us. He loves us. And today's message, you know, it could easily come across condemning, and I don't want it to do that today. And I'm praying that God will help that not to happen. We're starting a new series called Trapped, and I just don't want that to happen. So before we start, i got one thing I do want to mention that's really important. We are doing a thing called City Kids Jump and Play Spring Event. That's next Saturday, I believe, May the 5th. And we want your kids here. And um, we want you to bring all your kids. I, I don't want you to bring just the kids who go to church here, but I want you to go out and find kids. Let's round up some kids. Let's have, you know, we got, we got uh, you know, like 20 acres here. Let's fill it up with kids. Uh, that, that would be like the dream come true. You know, uh, just so many kids that, that, you know, you have to put a sign up. Can't get another kid on this place. You know, that would be awesome. It would overwhelm Debbie. She's not here today, so I can say this. So do it. Just, let's just drive her crazy. Bring so many kids in here that will drive her nuts. But anyway, from two to four, we've got bounce houses. We've got, I think, ice cream. We've got all kinds of fun. It's just about fun for the kids. It's just a celebration. Spring's going to be here. It's going to be great. So bring out some kids. Just invite kids and bring them over. And let's just have a blast together uh, next Saturday. So it's next Saturday here at 2 o'clock. And make sure that you're here and hang out with them. Don't just drop them off. It's not babysitting service, okay? We're not taking your kids so you can go shopping. We want you to be here with your kids. So come, bring them. Let's have a blast together, okay? And let's enjoy that time. I really uh, encourage you to do that. Again, we're starting this series called Trapped. And I want to begin with a word of prayer as we begin this and just ask God to help us. Father, right now, we uh, want to just ask you to be in the midst of everything that we do today. Lord, it would be real easy 
to get negative here. It'd be real easy to kind of get down and to start saying things that we shouldn't. And Lord, I don't want to do that. I pray for your grace. I pray for your mercy. I pray for your words. I pray that I won't be offensive. I pray, Lord, that you will be loving. People's hearts will be challenged. I pray that you will be all the things we sang about today. Right now, Lord, my heart's just full of all that you've done. Even up to this moment. We have been in church. We've been in worship. And Lord, it's been a beautiful, beautiful thing. Lord, I just pray right now that you will just speak into each and every one of our hearts. And that you will lift us to yourself. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to take them and turn to the book of James, James chapter 3, as we begin together. And as we are turning to James chapter 3, verse 1, I want to ask you a question to kind of get things started. Have you ever been trapped in anything? Have you ever been, you know, like trapped in something, maybe like an elevator? Anybody here ever been trapped in an elevator? Stuck in an elevator? Okay, one. Have you, or, or maybe in a locker? Like, you know, you were the skinny kid at school and they stuck you in the locker and Anybody here? Uh, yeah, way to go, Chad. All right, yeah. <laughs> Somehow I doubt that. You were the kid putting the kids in the locker. I know you. So, you know, um, you know, that's, you know that's a scary place to be trapped, you know. I, I, I've never been trapped like that. I think Brady told me one time he was trapped in a crawl space and had to get pulled out of there. That's why we don't go in crawl spaces, guys, you know, because you get trapped in those places, right? So, um, you know, I, I think that that would be a really scary thing. One day, Darcy and I were uh, in Gatlinburg, and we had stayed up in the mountains down the southern part, down in the woods, and we were living in, the, or in this little cabin for the week, and we decided to go into Gatlinburg itself and just hang out and, you know, just see what was going on. It was one of our first times there, and so we go there, and, and they, you know, they have that sky lift that goes up the side of the mountain. Those of you who've been there, it's yellow, and it goes up the side of the mountain. It's really fun. We got on it. We paid our ticket price. We rode it up, down. We had a blast, got our picture, you know. It was all fun, really good stuff. And then a few minutes later, we're doing some other things, and we see all these emergency vehicles just going, you know, going by, and we're like, man, something's going on. So we go out and look, and the sky lift that we had just gotten off of was stuck. And there were people starting in the first car all the way up and all the way back down, stuck on the side of that mountain in those cars and they couldn't go anywhere they were just stuck and pretty soon the firemen were hauling equipment up there and they were going up to people and they were helping them climbing up and pulling them down out of the lift and getting them down on the ground and I talked to the guy and he said well you know there's this mechanism that runs that and he goes we've never had any problem but what it broke it broke and now he said we well, don't have any parts to fix it we can't do anything about it except get people out of there so all day long they're just dropping you know pulling people down out and walking them we saw this one lady like she was like 85 and she's way up on the mountain i'm like how are they going to get her down and these firemen they just walked her down the side of the mountain i mean they helped her get down that's all they could do because these people were trapped they were trapped in that place once in a while Things happen in our lives that trap us. And that's why we're doing this series. We're calling it Trapped. Because it's my observation and my experience that a lot of people today are trapped in various things. They're living trapped lives. And even those who call themselves by the name of Christ, even those of us who would say, yeah, I believe in Jesus, I've accepted him as my Savior, I know him today, which I probably would include most of you here today. We still live not fully experiencing the freedom and the abundance and the joy that Jesus really 
wants us to experience. In fact, I think a lot of people feel trapped in their Christian lives even, that their Christian lives are the very thing that's trapping them. They feel trapped by it, held in place, can't go do what I really want to do kind of thing. They can't go up, they can't go down. They, they just feel like, well, I'm, I'm kind of stuck here. You attend church, and you guys who are trapped, you'll understand this. You read your Bible, you try to pray, you have that ceiling, it just seems to hit. But you know you're not growing right now. You're just stuck where you're at. They're not a part of the world anymore, so you don't fit in over here at the world, but you're really not all the way in experiencing the full joy, the power, the freedom of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, the kingdom of God life. There are things that are trapping you, and me, and I, I want to include me in this, there are, there are reasons why we're being held prisoner in our lives, and reasons that we cannot move forward and reasons why we can't grow and reasons why we're not becoming the person we hoped that we would be. And I want to look at several things over the next few weeks and then Ian's going to finish this one up too, just like he did the last one. And, and it, we're going to look at these things that we feel are, are holding us back, things that are trapping us and have got a grip on us and are holding us down. Uh, we call them oftentimes the seven deadly sins. Anybody here can repeat the seven deadly sins? Anybody here grew up Catholic? You should be able to repeat the seven deadly sins. Did you go confirmation and all that? You, come on, Karen, can you do it? <laughs> she wasn't a good Catholic. That's why she became a Nazarene. What can I say? <laughs> uh, that one's in there, but it's under another name. So, yeah. So, gossip is one of them. Lies, greed. At least these are our seven, whether they're the right seven or not, but they're the seven we identified. Lust, anger, pride, jealousy, those are things that are stopping all of us from going forward. We believe that. I really do believe that today. I think that these things are deadly because they have the ability to entrap us and hold us back from becoming the person God made us to be. They hold us back from getting close to God. They, they just get in the way. They're like sandpaper or like sand in the gears. They're just stopping everything from really being what God wants it to be. And one of the problems is that too many times we look at these sins and we look at them like they're just little problems. I mean, they're not big sins like, you know, like adultery. That's a big sin. You know, that really can screw up things. And, you know, it's not a big sin like murder. I mean, obviously, if you've murdered somebody, that's a big sin. You know, uh, it, it's not big sin like stealing somebody's, you know, bank account, you know, but they're just little things. Little things that are just stopping you from moving forward in your life. And the reality is, is that each one of these seemingly small issues will lead to bigger and bigger and bigger issues. And they will hold you captive and they will stop your growth that you need towards becoming the person God intended you for be. They trap us. And my guess, as I said earlier, is that there are some of you sitting here today that don't even realize that you may be caught by one of these sins, one of these things that we're talking about, these small issues, but they're undermining your spiritual life. It's undermining your growth right now. You're not moving forward. As I said, you're praying, you're reading, you're attending, you're serving, but you just seem stuck. So I want us to take our Bibles today and begin, and we're going to look at our, at our words or language or gossip or the way we talk or the way we speak to each other. All that is the same thing. Gossip is not exactly, I don't want to hit just on gossip. Gossip is obviously wrong. Anybody here think gossip is a good thing and you enjoy doing it and you're going to keep on doing it no matter what? You know, I mean, if you are, I, I'm, I, not much I can do for you. 
You know, I think everybody, I was just saying that to, when we were praying before the service, I think everybody recognizes gossip is a bad thing. Nobody would say it's wrong. But I bet you, if I ask and you were real honest, give you truth serum so you couldn't say no, most of you would say, yeah, I participated in gossip at some point along the way. Because it doesn't, it isn't, isn't gossip like fun? I mean, doesn't it feel good when you're doing it? I mean, you're like, oh, man, you know, when you believe Nathan, I'll tell you what, man. You know, it's so much fun. I mean, later on you feel bad about it, but when it's going on, it's pretty good. It's a little bit of a, a fun thing, you know. It kind of feels good. So, you know, all of us have done it, but it's wrong, okay? So we're going to talk about gossip, but not just exclusively about that. So turn with me to, uh, to James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, and we'll look at that. And it starts off like this, don't be in any rush to become a teacher, my friends. Now, what James is talking about here is not, don't be in a rush to become a school teacher or even a Sunday school teacher. He's not talking about those things. Rather, what James is saying is, don't presume to set yourself up as the example of what's right, 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 wrong, and virtuous. You know, don't act like you got it all figured out. Don't rush to act like you got your act together. You know, realize that you're just a normal person like the rest of us and that you struggle with life too. And let's just get real honest here today and let's all admit that we need Jesus and we need help, okay? Anybody here want to admit that today, man? We need Jesus, we need help. So don't be in a rush to set yourself up and say, look at me, I've got it figured out. So moving on, teaching is a highly responsible work. By the way, I'm reading out the message today because it was just so good. Excuse me, teachers are held to the strictest standards and most and none of us is perfectly qualified. We get it wrong nearly every time we open our mouths. If we could find someone whose speech was perfectly true, you'd have a perfect person and perfect control of life. A bit in the mouth of a horse controls the whole horse. A small rudder on a huge ship in the hands of a skilled captain sets a course in the face of the strongest winds. And that's where I want us to engage the scripture today, right here where I'm getting ready to move to, starting in verse 5. A word out of your mouth may seem of no account, but it can accomplish nearly anything. Did you hear that? Let me read that one more time. It's a little warm in here. You're getting a little sleepy, and I want you to wake up right now. A word out of your mouth may seem of no account, but it can accomplish nearly anything or destroy it. It only takes a spark, remember, to set off a great force fire. A careless or wrongly placed word out of your mouth can do that. By our speech, we can ruin the world, turn harmony to chaos, throw mud on a reputation, send the whole world up in smoke, go up in smoke with it, smoke right from the pit of hell. And this is scary. You can tame a tiger, but you can't tame a tongue. It's never been done. Done. The tongue runs wild, a wanton killer. With our tongues, we bless our Father. With the same tongue, we curse the very men and women He made in His image. Curses and blessings out of the same mouth. My friend, this can't go on. A spring doesn't gush fresh water one day and brackish the next, does it? Apple trees don't bear strawberries, do they? Raspberry bushes don't bear apples, do they? You're not going to dip into a polluted mud hole and get a cup of clear, cool water, are you? Man, he just really nails that so, so well there. I admire people who have the ability to communicate in multiple languages. Anybody here speak multiple languages? If you do, raise your hand. I want to see. Fluently, kind of. Okay. Okay, Aiden does. I'm glad to hear that. Me too, Aiden. I'll, I'll explain that. Karen does. Darcy and Joanne both do somewhat. They, they got their Portuguese and their English, so I know they do. There's a few of us. I speak fluent Hoosier, and I'm a, I do English as a second language. You know, 
that, that explains a lot of things and excuses me a lot in life, you know. So I just want to make that real clear. Aiden, I assume that's where you're going to. You speak Hoosier and you, and you have English as your second language. So, so I get that. I, I really do. <laughs> I understand that. But I do. I seriously admire those who can speak in multiple languages. It's amazing to me. We elected a new general superintendent last year uh, from Africa who actually speaks uh, like seven languages pretty fluently. I mean, I just sit there and go, oh my goodness, how in the world can a person do that? that? He's just amazing. But I really love that. You know, language is a gift from God. You know, being able to communicate back and forth, to talk to each other. I mean, what a gift from God. You know, have, have you ever thought of what life would be like if we couldn't communicate? I mean, I don't think there's anything more frustrating to me to, to know somebody and to see them sitting there and know that they've had a, a stroke or a debilitating uh, situation in their life and all of a sudden they can't communicate and see the frustration on their face. That's just, you know, I, I, I almost can't handle that because, you know, I talk a lot. You know, I'm a talker, you know, I, I communicate. I, that's what I do. I mean, even if I can't talk, my face communicates pretty well. Steve says my eyeballs come across the table when in certain circumstances and touch you. You know, I mean, I don't know what he means by that, but he says that. And, and, you know, our words are so important, and they were given to us by God. They're a great blessing. But here's the deal, honestly, and this is, this is truth. Just because we think something and just because we can say something doesn't mean we should say something. Now, I'm going to be a little bit, live a little dangerously here and say, you know, Think about that when you use Facebook and Twitter and whatever, you know, Instagram and anything else that you use. Don't say, well, you didn't call mine out so I can do. No, no, I mean, anytime you use social media, think about it. Don't just do it. And guess what? Here's the deal. Young and old, listen to me. There is never an age, there is never an age when that stops being true. I love I've had several older folks who said to me, well, I just put my filter away, so I say what I want now. No. No. Get it back out. Nobody wants to hear your craziness, first of all. And secondly, it's just wrong. It's just wrong. We cannot use our words any way we want to. There is responsibility all of us have, no matter how old or how young, for the words that we're using. There's never an age when that stops being true. In the USA, we have freedom of speech as a basic guaranteed right through the Constitution. But just because it's lawful doesn't mean it's prudent. To quote George Bush. Prudent, that, that word, that's what I'm quoting. Because he used that a lot. Just throwing that out there. There are many things we need to stop putting into print and many things that just don't need to be said. And we need to make sure that we're careful about that. We as believers need to bring our words, and I want you to hear this. If you don't hear anything else, hear this. You can stop listening now, and that'll be fine. You can do whatever you want. But we have to bring our words and our thoughts under the leadership of Jesus. Now, we don't think about that very often. We don't think about my words need to be you know, brought under leadership. I mean, I need to bring my life under the leadership of Jesus, and you know, most of us get that. But I mean, your very words need to be directed and, and, and guided by the Holy Spirit of God. Our thoughts, our opinions need to be sanctified. They need to be washed by the blood of Jesus before they're said. 
Can you imagine right now if all of us were to run our words through the blood of Jesus Christ before we spoke them? I don't think there would be a lot of stuff going on. Angry moments where we yell and holler. Bad moments where we say things about people. Gossip moments where we talk about people. Those would stop. So James writes in verse 5, a word out of your mouth may seem of no account, but it can accomplish nearly anything or destroy it. Our words, so often they seem so small and meaningless, really insignificant, don't they? They don't seem to be that big a deal. But according to James, one word, one little word can change everything. Now we say a lot of words daily. Um, I read this and, you know, in the past we've said women say a lot more words than men. According to the real studies, not, not those that you know, everybody laughs about, the real study says that women say somewhere around an average of 16,000 words a day. Now, you know, that goes up and down depending if you live alone or if you live with people, if you work outside the home and all those things. But it's about 16,000 words a day. And men, just slightly less than that, something around 15 to 14 to 15,000. So not a lot less. Okay? This message will be somewhere around 3,000 words Give or take a few thousand. It's 3,000 written ones, but I'll find a few more to throw in there. I'm sure of that. But we need to realize that every one of our words has the potential to build somebody up. And every one of our words has the potential to tear someone down. Every one of our words has the potential to bless somebody. And every one of our words has the potential to curse someone. They have the potential to accomplish something good, and they have the, the uh, potential to completely destroy someone, or even us. And our words, they have weight and power. They're not frivolous, and they're not meaningless. And we need to understand that. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, listen to this, verse 34, for out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, what's going on in here, that's what's going to come out here. You can't say, oh, I've got bad feelings in here and I'm going to have good things come out here. And you can't have great things going on here and have bad things coming out here. What is coming out of here reflects what's going on inside of here. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. The evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. When I read people's Facebook, when I read things people say about each other, when I read people's gossip, when I see that, I am reminded that that is a reflection of who they are. You can't write that about one person and say, oh, but I'm, I love Jesus and everything's good. Not a problem. You know, you just can't do that. It's, it, you know, the, like he said, salt water and fresh water don't flow out of the same stream. But I tell you, he said, that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they've spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Our words reflect what's going on inside of our lives. They reflect what we really think, what we believe, and what we feel. And you can try to hide the truth, but your words in a heated moment will always reflect it. I'll tell you what, you get into that moment where things are hot, and when things are tough, and when you're not happy about something, it will reflect who you really are. You want to know who you really are? Get in that moment. Let's find out. When the heat's on, let's find out. And John says we'll have to give account for those words. Those unsanctified words will condemn us. John chapter 4, verse, one, uh, verse 41, we read that Jesus was staying in Samaria after he had met with a woman at the well. It says he stayed for a few days and he spoke with them. He encountered them. And his words, it said, because of his words, Many more became believers. 
Our words can tear down, but our words can also lift up. Jesus' words led people to believe in him, and it led to a change in their lives. Jesus shows that words used well can change the course of a life for good. In Proverbs, we see there are various kinds of words. In Proverbs, it shows us there are perverse words. It talks about seductive words, persuasive words, words of insight. Our words, they're all different kinds, and they all matter. And and finally, in Proverbs chapter 6, we see this. It says, my son, if you've put up security for your neighbor, if you've struck hands and pledged, if you've been trapped by what you said, if you've been ensnared by the words of your mouth, he says, then do this, my son, to free yourself. Since you've fallen into your neighbor's hand, go, humble yourself, press your plea with your neighbor, allow no sleep to your eye, no slumber to your eyelids, free yourself. In other words, this is important is what the Proverbs writer is saying. It's so important that you shouldn't even go to sleep. You should get up and take care of it because your words matter. They've entrapped you. They've enslaved you. A little small word can have huge impact. They trap us. They can set us free. Did you know that your words can change the destiny of your family? That's big. You know, I I care about my family. I've I've been watching the NFL draft. I've seen who the Colts and the Bears are drafting. I don't care about anybody else, but, you know, I want to see what they're doing, and so I've watched it. But I'm thinking about those young men. They're being drafted for uh, a lot of, some of them, millions of dollars they're going to make. And their millions of dollars have the potential to change the complete course of their families for generations. Some of them are going to make generational money. That's unbelievable, you know, to think about that. It's a big risk they're taking. Their health is involved, but they may make generational money. Well, I'm talking about the same thing. Your words can change the generations of your family. They're that powerful. If you speak words of love and blessing over your family, you know you can set them free to be and do whatever they were made for, that you can turn their lives around. If you speak words of curse and doom, it has a defeating effect. Have you ever listened to how you talk about your family? I mean, I listen to some people talk about their families. They think it's funny. My wife... Some are actually saying good things. My wife is a blessing. My daughter's beautiful and a blessing. My son's smart and honest. My family's a gift from God. I love them. I respect them. My wife's the glue that holds the family together. I thank God for her. Those are good things. But have you ever heard people say the curses and the negativity? My wife's so difficult. I have. I don't know what her problem is. I tell you what. You know. My son. I think he's stupid. You think that's funny, but I've heard people say that about their children. My daughter's worthless. She's worthless. I don't know why I got stuck with her. I have to put up with my wife because I married her, but I sure wish I didn't have to. I've heard that. See, we can speak blessings over our kids. We can speak curses over our kids. We can speak blessings over our wife. We can speak curses our husband. Our wife, both. Have you ever told your kids they'll never succeed? See, when I was younger, I was told that. Never become a pastor because I'll tell you right now, you'll never amount to anything as a pastor. My dad said that. I I love my dad. 
That's a generational curse over my life. He basically was speaking what he believed to be true. Satan was using him. It happens all the time. I was watching a movie the other night. A young man came in to his dad all excited. One of these days, he said, and he holds up a newspaper, newspaper headline. I'm going to be like Andrew Carnegie. I'm going to make a lot of money. And his dad goes, kind of shoves him down and says, kid, you were born in this family. You will be poor the rest of your life. That's a curse. He's speaking into his family and saying, you don't have a chance. You can't get money. You'll never have anything. You'll never amount to anything. And if you speak that over your children, guess what? You'll be right. Most likely, you will be right. If you speak blessings into your children, if your words speak blessings into your children, your kids will grow. They will raise up. Good things will begin to happen out of them. We can speak blessings over our kids. We can speak curses. These are our words, and our words have power. They have lasting impact. I, I read about a 12-year-old young lady who began to come to church and heard about this, and she's very poor, didn't have very many nice clothes, and so she put on the best she had, a little red dress, and she came to church, and you know, everybody was kind of like, oh, look at the poor little red girl in the red dress. The dress wasn't that nice. It was kind of tattered, but it was the best she had. She sat there by herself, and the pastor's wife saw her sitting there and went over and sat down with her. And that day she told her, said, you know, you look very beautiful in a red dress. First time that girl had ever heard that she was beautiful. The pastor's wife began to pour into her and began to pour blessings into her. And this young lady grew up and, and was able to go to college and begin a career. And she got married, had a family. And she left that life of poverty, and she came back one day to the church to visit, and she walked in, and she told them in her testimony of how the words of the pastor's wife had changed her life. For the first time in her life, she realized she was worth something. She mattered. That people cared. That she was pretty. And that she mattered. The pastor's wife used her words to encourage and to bless, not to criticize and tear down. It is so easy to criticize, to look around here and say, well, you know, they're okay, but, you know, they don't have anything. Or, or that person over there, you know, they don't do this like I think they should. Or, you know, that's so-and-so over there. You know, we, we, can, we can criticize all day long. Does anybody here find it hard to criticize? You know, it's easy. It's kind of like, you know, running downstream. You know, you just get in the water and float. Criticizing is a piece of cake. To notice people's faults, easy. To speak words that curse and kill, easy. But you know what's difficult? It's difficult looking at people, looking them in the face, seeing people who struggle and going, let me speak words of encouragement into your life. Let me tell you that you are worthwhile. Let me lift you up. You know what's easy to do? It's easy to tell somebody that what they're wearing is goofy looking. It's a lot harder to remember to go to them and say, you look good today. I appreciate you. Thank you for being you. And we've all made statements that have left us hurting and left others hurting. It's so much easier to find words of criticism than encouragement. But our tools, our, our words are tools and, they're, and they matter. And we have to learn to speak words of blessing and hope and healing. And many of us have used words to tear people down. And here's the deal. When you use your words to tear someone else down, here's what happens. You get trapped. 
You get trapped. That leads us to where I started at. I have made statements that trapped me. You have made statements that trapped you. Um, we've made promises that we were never going to do something. Anybody here say, I promise you I'll never do that. And then later on realize, man, that, I wish I had made that promise. I'm trapped in it. Trapped in it. Um, we've made declarations over people. I'll never talk to him again. Big, big declarations. We've spoken curses over our family. My family, they just never get it. I have a really rotten family, I'll tell you. And that's trapped us. We're trapped by that. We've gossiped, we've judged others, and we've said words to other people, and now we're stuck because we know what we've said. And if we go to that person even and try to love them, everybody's going to say, what a hypocrite. So we just avoid them. And you say, are you kidding me? Yeah, that happens. Trust me. We've said words about others, pointing out their faults while knowing that we were ever bit as guilty as they are about things. And that's trapping us. The words we have said have entrapped us, and we have obligated ourselves to things physically and psychologically. I can't tell you how many people are walking around going, man, I really wish I had a necklace. I have a, I have a son. His name's Steve. Love you know him. Steve's a great guy. I've talked to him out a lot lately. He doesn't go here anymore, so I can talk about him. It's great. And uh, one of the things that Steve did was act like a tough guy all his life. For some reason, he decided to be a tough guy, and he walked around acting like he's tough all the time. Truth was, he's big softy, and everybody that knew him and could really get through to him, you know, he, you know, he was just a nice guy, but, but he walked around, I'm tough, and, and I don't know, you know, and, and he got himself into that where he couldn't say things that he really wanted to say. He couldn't do things he really wanted to do, because if he did, he, he ruined his image. He was stuck. He let his words capture him, and he was stuck. Now, you say, that's not a big deal. It is a big deal. You know, he's 30 years old, and he's just now working out of that. It's a big deal. It's a real big deal. We've obligated ourselves to things spiritually. Oh, you know, I'm not going to raise my hands and I'm not going to be one of those people that cry. And I'm not. And so we sit in church and the Spirit's trying to move us, but we have hardened our hearts and we're sitting there going, not me. I ain't going to act like that in this church because, you know, because of our words. You know, because of our words. And, and you know, you, maybe you criticized the music when we started to uh, change it to what it is now. And, and, you kind of enjoy it now, but you can't tell anybody. And that, you think, oh, that's kind of funny. No, it's not. Because now you're stuck acting like you don't like it. And you have to go on with that. And that's a lie, and you're living it. And anytime you're living in a lie, you're living an unhappy life. And God can't use you like he wants to. We've obligated ourselves to things. And now we're trapped by the words we've said. I want to be honest here and say something. Now, I'm preaching these words out of personal areas of weakness. I am preaching to you out of my heart because today I stand before you as one who has done all of the above. I have messed up my life in those ways, every one of those ways that I can think of. And if I'm not careful, I can always see the faults in others. It is a gift for me to look and see your faults. It is a gift. It is a burden for me to look at my own faults. I don't think I have very many. I'm thankful I have a wife who has helped me see differently. It's her obligation and job. She is the light in my life. She shines it and I see the cracks up. Except for that, I would be in trouble. So we are very thankful for Darcy. If I'm not careful, I'll speak words of curses and hurt over people in my family and in my church rather than speak blessing. And I have been so wrong when I have done that. 
and it has hurt the church. It has hurt my family. My spoken words will strain relationships if I'm not careful. I have a tendency to speak harshly and not with a gentle spirit, and I am working on that. God is showing me that about myself. But let's be real. While I'm admitting my faults, most of you also struggle with much of the same thing. Maybe not exactly like mine, but very similar and very much like that. And like me, you find yourself trapped and stuck. Your words have become who you are, whether you want it to be you or not. I have found one way to fix this and one way only. I don't believe there's any other thing that I can do. The only way to be free from the traps that we have set that have held us captive in these areas, the things that keep us stuck and trapped, the only way I've found to, set my, to be free is to get on my knees before my Father, Papa God, acknowledge my mess, acknowledge who I am, admit what I've done, confess individually even as He brings them to mind, the things that I have said and done and have caused hurt in other people and trapped myself in, and to repent. To repent, which means to turn away from, to turn away from that. Right now, if you're ignoring this and saying, well, that's for Him and not me, then you're trapped. That is a sure sign of you're being trapped. You're trying to stay out of that feeling that I'm, you're feeling because you don't want to have to deal with it. My guess is there's not one of us sitting here today that can say, I've never spoken a word that I regret. I've never spoken a word I regret. And we need to confess and repent to be forgiven. We need to sanctify our language, our words to God to be used by Him and for him. As kids, we used to say, sticks and stones may break my bones and words will never hurt me. And that is the biggest lie that you have ever told. Satan is the one who taught us that. Our words are killing people. Your words are killing people. Your words are cursing your family. Your words are putting people that you work with in a, in, in a place where they're trapped and you're trapped. Your words are killing your marriage. Your words are killing your church. And it doesn't matter when you said them and how long ago it's been. You can sit there and say, well, that happened a long time ago. Guess what? I want to tell you what. Psychologists and psychiatrists make a living off of the words that you said 50 years ago to entrap your children. I mean, let's face it, right now, I got to admit it, you know, I, I, I helped some psychologists out. I, I mean, to what I did with my kids, I guarantee it, you know, they're going to have to find some counseling. But my guess is, is that so did your parents and so are you as parents. And it does matter what we said and it does matter even if it's been a long time ago. There needs to be some forgiveness. There needs to be some acceptance of what we've done. We need to confess it. We need to repent of it and we need to make things right. See, Satan the accuser uses words like it doesn't matter. It was a long time ago. It's not a big deal to remind people or, or, or to get people to, to, to say, no, I, I don't need help. And he uses the words that we have said, the things that we said, even a long time ago, that echo through our brain from our parents, from our, our teachers. You know, I had a teacher back in fifth grade. I still remember that day. Stand there and tell me that I was stupid, basically. And, and tell me to stand up in front of the class and make noise like a donkey, because that's what I was. 
Now, I had to do that. She made me do that, even though I was crying as a fifth grader. My parents didn't believe me. See, those things, that still sticks there. That doesn't go away just because I'm a few years removed from that. See, Satan, the accuser, uses those words to remind us that we are losers and that we can't succeed, that we're not smart, that we don't have anything to offer to anyone else. And you and I need to repent. We need to apologize. We need to sanctify our voice, our lips, our mouth to God. Our words reflect our hearts. And the question that we all need to answer right now is, do I have enough love in me? Is there enough love in me to go to others and apologize? Is there enough love in me to get on my knees before a holy God and to say, I'm sorry? Is there enough love in me to take back my words, to go to someone, to be reconciled, to set aside words that I've spoken in anger, and to forgive those who've said them to me? We have to ask this question. Is being free important enough for me to become self-aware and let God convict my heart and help me to break free of all the ties that hold my soul captive. Because see, when we do this, what we're doing is we're setting up these ties. They tie to our soul and they tie us to other things. And they don't go away on their own. We have to deal with them. We have to say, Lord, break that off in me. Help me to deal with that. And here's the deal. This is what I've learned. Life is short. Amen? Life is short. I never realized how short it was till I turned 60. You know? And you realize at 60, it went by quick. There's not a whole lot of it left out in the front end. You know, I know 60 is the new 40, right? I mean, every time I turn another generation, everybody tells me that's the new 40. I don't feel it. I'm, I'm sorry. But life is too short to live trapped by our own words or the words of others. I know that. Right? It's too short to live like this. So I'm asking you today. Would you allow Jesus to help you break the ties and to set you free? To deal with what you've said and what others have said to you, to be free of them, to break that off, to say, you know what, I'm not going to let Satan win this battle. I'm not going to win. I'm not going to let him have his way in my life. I've asked Nathan to come. He's going to come and lead us in worship. And I don't know if anybody wants to pray now. It doesn't really matter to me how you deal with this. I, I think that some of these things, sometimes we have to, we have to work through them for a while. It may take a while to get through everything. You may have to deal with it. You may need to come see me and we need to pray together maybe or, or go see a counselor or whatever. I don't know. But I believe that it's important enough that we are trapped and that these traps will never allow us to be the people God wants us to be if we don't deal with them. And I want to see us deal with them. I want to see people not just getting by. I want to see people victorious. I want, to see, I want to see Satan defeated. I want to see him kicked out of this place completely. I don't want to see him, I don't, I don't want to let that go on. And, you know, and I don't want to hear, I, I don't want to hear later on. Well, I know what pastor preached on today, but <laughs> did you hear? Stop it, in the words of Bob Newhart. Just stop it. You can't keep doing that. That's not what God asks us to do. Let's get that done. Let's fix it. Let's go on. Let's move forward. Get out of the trap. Get out of the trap. Let's stand together. Let's worship. The altars are open. If you want to pray, I'll pray with you. Lord bless. Thank you for being here today. It's been a good day. Let's, let's gather together to pray. It's been a while since we've done this. I, I'd just like to invite all of us to just come up and pray together to, to end this service today. Just gather around the altar if you would, and, and we'll just have a few moments of prayer and you know, I don't, I don't expect everybody to do that all the time, but I think it'd be good to be together and, and uh, just have this time.
If you can't kneel around it, that's fine. Just sit on the front rows or stand up here next to me or however we want to do it. I don't care. Just as long as let's get together. Just come on up. And if you're not, if this isn't your church normally, that's okay. You're part of the kingdom. Let's come on up. Let's pray. Let's just pray together today. Lord, we just want to thank you today. We just want to thank you for what you've done. Lord, we, uh, we want to come to you right now. And first of all, Lord, I want to ask you for forgiveness. And Lord, you know I've repented. And you know that I'm sorry for the things that I have said. And Lord, I know there are others who, are, who need to repent and who are repenting and are saying they're sorry. Lord, we're so thankful that you're a God of grace. You're not a God who condemns. You don't bring condemnation, but you bring conviction and you bring grace and you bring forgiveness. And today, Lord, would your grace, your forgiveness be the uh, win the day. Would you take over in our hearts, Lord, and remind us that you love us and that you have given us life and that we have this incredible hope and it's you. Lord, today I pray right now for all of us that our church would be uh, would move down the road and away from uh, away from this uh, talking and bickering and, and fussing and, and saying things and being negative, Lord. May we pronounce blessings over our church, not curses. May we pronounce hope over our church and not defeat. So in the name of Jesus, I pray right now that you would come and that these would be great days ahead. Lord, I am believing that you want to raise up new leaders. I believe you're wanting to to touch people and, and encourage them. I believe that you're wanting to re-encourage those who've led for a long time and maybe have been discouraged. I believe, Lord, that you want to help us all to begin to pull together so that the kingdom of God can be advanced in Muncie. Lord, right now, those who are kneeling here at the altar uh, that came up for prayer, Lord, meet their needs right now, deep inside them, wherever they're at, Lord. Go there, bring them to a place of repentance, a place of, of being set free, Lord. Set us free from those things that trap us. And we give you praise, Lord, for what you're doing. This is a good day, and we just give you praise. We give you honor, and we thank you, Lord, for being here. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and ask these things. Amen. Amen. Lord bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Great day today.